Hi, this is Scott with the Android Guys podcast. I'm here today with John Choi. He is the Chief Product Officer at CoolPad Americas. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, his role and CoolPad America or CoolPad, uh, where they fit in the mobile landscape, uh, some questions about their devices and how that process works, and maybe a little bit about uh, how they uh, the relationship with carriers and things that, uh, you know, kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and just kind of see how things operate uh, from a different perspective. So, John, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. No, thank you. Very happy to uh, join you on this podcast. So uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, let's start with you, and then we'll go into CoolPad, uh, a little bit about your background. Yeah, uh, so my name is John Choi, and I am the Chief Product, Product Officer for CoolPad Americas. Um, I've spent almost 20 years uh, taking products from concept to launch, uh, the majority of which were spent helping consumer electronics companies uh, grow through innovative, connected products. Um, so I did this by helping companies like Samsung and TCL shift away from an engineering mindset towards a consumer-first mindset because that really helps inform the design of the concept, and I help translate that into engineering execution and launch. So in my role today as Chief Product Officer for CoolPad Americas, I'm using this similar uh, consumer-first recipe to help bring to market uh, products that consumers will hopefully love. That's awesome. That uh, sounds like you kind of take the science and the, the, the business side of it and kind of put that aside and do more from the consumer perspective of how tech should work or how devices should operate for people or what we can do with those. Would that be a way of looking at it? That, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. So a very important data point that um, it is very difficult to digest and gather is understanding that consumer mindset, really understanding, getting the heart of the, the issue that a consumer electronics company is empowered to solve. Okay. So how did you come to work with CoolPad? Is, was this uh, a, just a slow trajectory in one direction or have you kind of bounced around different things? Yeah, so um, just a little background on CoolPad first maybe. So mm -hmm. CoolPad's a global company and they have a great DNA around uh, developing connected products. They have over 25 years of mobile technology experience, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of patents related to mobile technology, and with a great number of firsts. And they did this in the smartphone space. Um, what I wanted to do was help a company like CoolPad grow their portfolio uh, towards things, things like kids' wearables, trackers, and, and all sorts of other devices that you know, you'll see from us uh, in the future. But because of my interest in that space, I was very attracted to CoolPad because with that power of that understanding of how to bring in high-quality, well-connected products into the market, uh, that DNA is required to build this portfolio of things, and I thought that would be a good fit there. Okay. So as you uh, do your, your devices or your products portfolio, portfolio excuse me, uh, mm -hmm. what's the genesis of those? Is it uh, a discussion, a pain point that you want to address? Uh, maybe a carrier comes to you. Uh, where, where does that, uh, where does something new get started? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the best way for us to frame this is the process will 
begin in one of two ways. Uh, the first one is cool pad driven, where with the research that we have, with the partners that we talk to, we identify um, an opportunity and we find a need and we want to build to solve that need. The second part of that is, is carrier driven here in the U.S., uh, where carriers find an opportunity or a need and bring that to the table as well and ask for companies like Coolpad to participate in a collaboration with them to build a device to market. Um, both process approaches require collaboration with our carrier partners. Um, and an example I'll give on the Coolpad German aspect is our recent Dino Smartwatch project. Right? Um, Coolpad has identified a gap in the market. We find that in our race, towards hyperconnectivity, and by hyperconnectivity, I'm referring to uh, handsets. We're all after cheaper, better uh, handsets. Uh, but in, that, in doing so, we sort of left families behind, and I'm referring to my grandparents, and I'm referring to my kids. Mm -hmm. um, so the Dino Smartwatch is really designed to problem, uh, sorry, solve the problem for parents who have kids, and I've got two six-year-olds. Uh, but I wanted to have, I want to make sure that that smartwatch um, has have the easiest out of box experience because we know that not everyone is technically savvy, right? And there's a lot of complexity around changing SIMs and so on. So we had to create this easy out of box experience where a parent can go, just go to a store, a Toys R Us or another retailer or online, buy the box and very simply download a companion app, pair the device and, and, and have it work straight out of the box. That was very important to us. Um, the second one was being able to travel internationally between the U.S. and Canada because a lot of the parents we spoke to uh, was, was curious about that. They wanted that functionality. A lot of the smartwatches out there today were only limited to either Canada or the U.S. So in solving this problem, it was an, it was an opportunity that Coolpad uh, identified, but we required deep collaboration with a carrier partner to deliver this experience. So that's an example of a cool pad driven example, if that helps. No, that does. That it's uh, it's an interesting point that uh, you know we kind of take for granted that we live in this era of smartphones, and that's the first device that a lot of people use for the internet. It's what a lot of people use to just kind of stay connected to the world, and we just kind of assume or take for granted that you know there are everybody that comes behind us is going to just kind of glom onto this and understand it. And they're, you know, just kind of be born into this world where there's still a huge segment of people who may have apprehension, who may not have uh, the understanding or the desire to kind of learn something that can be as complicated as a phone or a wearable. So uh, there's a lot of people that, you know, in my circle that I'll talk to that, you know, when I discuss a, a connected home product or a wearable or something, you can kind of see them, their eyes gloss over a little bit because they, they feel intimidated or they don't know. And it's like, oh, I'll just have you help me with that when it comes time to set that up because you know, there's a lot of, um, I guess, preconceived uh, ideas of how difficult things have to be so it's nice to see or refreshing to hear that you know you take that approach of you know let's keep it simple um and you know and getting getting them when they're young of course makes sense because it becomes a you know this is how you not just use it but how it becomes part of your life to where you're not necessarily beholden but kids can kind of follow along and say hey this is a part of my life that I use as a tool, not as just a constant, you know, 
my face is in this thing. Right. Um, and so I, I don't know if you have children, but with my six-year-olds, if I think about how I interact with them every day, um, near, you know, near the genesis of this project, we were very, um, you know, we, we found it interesting that you were able to stay connected to things like your home, right, and your friends and colleagues. But when my kids go to school, when they're six years old, and I want to be able to synchronize activities in my life, there was not a very elegant solution to that. I could give them... Uh, low-cost smartphones, but the chance of them, I, but, I, but I'm looking for a low-cost smartphone because they're going to lose it, number one. Sure. Um, I could give them a hand-me-down, but then there are things in the hand-me-down product that I may not want them to have access to. For example, access to my Netflix account and things like that. And it's a lot of work that's required for a parent to reset the device, make sure it's clean, and then pass it down uh, to a child to use. And which is why we felt that the smartwatch product was a very, very good fit for that segment. And, you know, my kids use it today. I use it with my wife to synchronize. And, you know, my kids have become so um, used to it that now they, they order me to go to their north gate or the south gate of their school to go pick them up. Because when, you know, the, the area we, we live in, um, sorry, the, where the school is, it's in a, a residential mm-hmm. district that's very high traffic. And, you know, parents are queued up for miles. Mm-hmm. So knowing that having my son and daughter, they're, they're twins, um, tell me where to come pick them up actually eases that traffic, right? Instead of, you know, sort of guessing, oh, my son, my children are not here. I'm going to have to drive a little further out, right? And I've just wasted that time lighting up. So it's things like this, the, the very little things like this that, you know, we identified when we spoke to parents and, 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 and through my own personal experience, you know, helped drive that, 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 the, the, the solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. So when you talk to the parents or you get your, your research and your feedback, is that something where you guys are, you know, you have a, a group of people that you poll or do you have focus groups? How do you, uh, how do you go about getting that feedback? Uh, we do focus groups. Um, internally, there are a lot of parents at CoolPad, so that was a good source of uh, primary information when we first start off the project. And then using that information, we start building uh, theories, right? We, we build a thesis around what could work. Then that's when we sort of open the gate to a closed focus group where they're covered with NDAs and so on. And we get to ask them, you know, very, very specific questions uh, to, to get a richer feedback. So that, that's, that's really the process. Um, we'll also do UI tests where we would have a mock product and have them engage, and we would observe how they interact with the device with their children, right? So do they strap it on? Does the child go out and try and attach, you know, wear the watch on their own? Uh, And and these are very, very good signals and interesting signals to have. A lot of the times, the reason why our watch, as an example, had that uh, strap uh, design was because parents would strap it off a child. Almost never the child would try and attempt on its own, uh, on their own, uh, to put the watch on. So for us, Having a strap that a parent can secure well, just a standard strap, uh, was, was good learning. Because otherwise, when you come to product design, you have to think about, you know, do I put the antenna into the actual product itself, the body of the watch, or do I pull the antenna and put it out into the straps and make the strap non-interchangeable? But, you know, parents have given us that feedback that they want it interchangeable, that they're happy to put it on, they want to put it on and adjust. Um, instead of having kids do that, uh, was a good uh, inside uh, example that I could share with you. Nice. Now, when you have a product that, such as the watch, is 
when you bring it to market, do you look at something like this in particular? Do you say, hey, this will be something that we want to kind of offer direct or work with a carrier or a retailer to kind of get this out there? Um, how do you guys make those decisions? So we want to look at um, who we want to target first. And in this case, we wanted to have a direct connection to parents. The reason why is because this is our first generation smartwatch. It's a fantastic product, but inside as a you know product guy, I know that we won't have nailed all the problems uh, today, mm-hmm. right? So it's very important for CoolPad, a company like CoolPad, to build that direct relationship with the customer. So owning that relationship was very key and it was very strategic in our part because as the product goes out, we're going mm-hmm. to get further feedback, usage rates, um, you know, uh, parents don't like this function or they found, um, you know, a, a new use case that we haven't thought about. Uh, things like this, we needed that feedback, unfiltered feedback, you know, without another partner uh, in play. So for us, it was very important to build that relationship with the consumer, help the consumer understand our mission around building a device that helps parents and families uh, and build and start a conversation with them. And and that's what really drove our strategy to launching Dino One um, in, in, in open market, if you will. Okay. Uh, can we talk a little bit about phones now as far as just some general questions? Okay. Uh, sure. When you have, you know, Phone companies, they tend to have, you know, hey, this is our flagship experience. This is our mid-range or this is, you know, we have this uh, usage or target user user in uh, in mind for this particular device. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your uh, portfolio as you guys define it or maybe a, a target demographic for, you know, particular models or as, you know, maybe who the... Uh, CoolPad brand goes after? Yeah. Um, so CoolPad has found a nice niche um, in the sub 200 space. Uh, the sub 200 space is what we call the ultra affordable space. Um, the sub 400 market is the piece of the pie that we're after, which is the affordable market. And that's how we define uh, the market opportunity, if you will, from a price perspective of the device. Now, from there, um, the, the market is, is very well understood uh, because the market is very mature. Um, we have a very good understanding of uh, user behavior and their expectations for certain specific price points. And what we do is we work with carrier requ- uh, carriers to get the carrier requirements. So things like uh, banding requirements, device integrity requirements, uh, must-have preloads and things like that. And then the consumer uh, requirements that we define by a price point. So we understand that those who are looking for the more affordable will be more budget restricted. Um, They are looking for, you know, a decent camera, storage, media experiences, which they expect from a price within certain price points, right? So the $49.99, the $149, and the $199. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are sort of the big four, like, sweet spot lanes, if you will where these experiences are well-defined. I, I know from the perspective of, you know, having followed it as a blogger or, in a, you know, on this side of the uh, fence for a decade now, I've seen mm-hmm. the consumer focus, at least from, from what I can tell, 
has gone away from, you know, everything was $200 because everything was subsidized in the first few years of smartphones to, you know, now we know the true cost of what these devices are and we kind of have an expectation as to, hey, this is a flagship, so this is going to probably run 700 to $1,000 now uh, versus, you know, a few years back, we kind of saw Motorola inching a little bit down to that 500 and below and now you know where they're in the the g and the e series is kind of in that price point that you you know pointed out that you know for a lot of a lot of the first couple of years i saw this kind of push to early adopt and these uh fanboys and tech heavy enthusiasts and people who really wanted all of this you know had these expectations of we got to keep moving the needle forward and we have this kind of like almost a sense of entitlement as to, Hey, no, wait a second. You guys didn't really do anything this year and you still want to get this much money out of me where for me, I've watched it, you know, I have, I have a son who's 15. So I've watched him kind of grow up in the space and see that, you know, what you really need is not always what you necessarily want or vice versa. And what you can actually kind of get away with versus where you can cut corners. And so I've really started to have more of a, more of a, a fondness for the people who can kind of put together these value packages for below that $200. Because I look at that and I think that's really where a lot of people, you know, in my circle, that's where a lot of people actually play. You know, they, they, they look for that. Well, is it worth spending the extra money for this? You know, there's that you get what you pay for kind of mentality, but then it's, Hey, you know what? I've got two kids. We're on a family plan. We're looking at maybe prepaid or a first time buyer. You know, we have to, we have to look at it with our wallet. Um, so I'm really kind of a fan of what the different phone makers are able to do at that, you know, as the price point that you identified. Yeah, and Scott, you, you know, you, you really nailed it on the head. I mean, some of these devices cost as much as a, a you know a high-end refrigerator, right? Mm-hmm. A refrigerator has years of utility, and you're right. Um, the cycle of how quickly companies are pumping out these 800 plus devices is it, very fast. Um, so there is this gap uh, that we see. Um, from a volume perspective, you're right. So if you look at the market size. Right, the market for affordable devices, which I agree is going to sub 400. When you look at the size of that market, and you look at the size of the premium market that's above the 800, it actually the numbers are, are not too dissimilar, right? They're about the same size, which goes to your point that there is a group that's it's not left behind, but what we call them are smart buyers. They are very aware that uh, of the reality that the most common, the commonly used applications that we use every day are not exclusive to the $800 uh, plus dollar devices. Mm-hmm. I mean, how fast do you really need Facebook or WhatsApp to load at, right? Right. Um, they, they work at the low end. So that's why we call them smart buyers uh, because they understand what they're going after with their dollars because they know that there are products at those price part, uh, price points that can still deliver a great experience uh, for their really, really key applications, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that the Uber application will work on a sub $50 device. Um, as well as a higher-end $800 device because they both have GPS, they both have 4G LTE, right? And they both have processing uh, capacity and memory that allows the app to run. 
Um, I've yet to run into a device where I'm unable to download an application from the Google App Store because my specifications don't fit. Right. There are some on the higher end, right, that, that do have that. For example, um, Google's Daydream, right, as an example. That requires a certain product. But if you look at that, that world right now, um, it, it's a very niche market. You're right. It, it, it's all the tech sphere. It's those who are interested in that experience that buy and go after those devices. And, you know, we're more than happy for them to go buy those devices. But for the market that, that CoolPad is focused on, we know that they want a great experience watching Netflix. We know that they want a decent camera, decent storage. They want email to work. They want voice, text. Uh, these things to work well out of the box. They want their, their social media applications. And even when it comes to games, and I'm sure you realize this as well, Scott, it's that it, it's this very simple, what we call toilet seat games. They're not really mm -hmm. these high-end 3D, you know, in-depth PC-grade experiences. We are seeing that on the PUBG type of games that we see coming down the line. But, but the reality is still today, if you look at Annie, for example, a lot of the applications we use don't require these $800 devices just yet. Right. In the first couple of generations, we saw the this you actually need this much RAM, this type of processor, and it was almost like the computer, you know, video game industry, uh, you know, 20 years ago, where you kind of said, "Oh, I really, I kind of need to stay ahead of the curve if I want that," but. We've seen the hardware iterate faster than consumer needs. And, you know, when somebody yeah, asks me personally, hey, do I need that phone? No. Yeah. If you have to ask that question, you, you've yeah. already answered it. If Generally, I'm finding that, you know, people who are asking, hey, the S10 is out. Should I get that? Or, you know, a lot of times people say, okay, now it's time for me to buy last year's because it's cheaper and people are buying because they can afford it or because they know I can upgrade, get something new to me that I don't have to spend as much money. So the, you know, the, the ultra affordable and the affordable, you know, I, I, as family, as people get into these families and multiple lines and do all of these uh, shared accounts, it, it it gets to be too expensive to say, hey, you know what, my teen kids, I'm going to get them both something that's, you know, $30, $40 per month for the next two years. It just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Right. And, and Scott, I mean, how often do we hear that question, right? You're, you're, you're right on the money there. Um, you know, when I think about performance, right, um, let's use uh, car speeds as an analogy, if you buy a, a car that can easily hit 300 miles per hour, it's easy for that car to hit 100 miles per hour, but you'll be paying upwards of $300,000, $400,000 for that product or that car. Um, it's when it comes to product development, and, and this is the challenge that I think people may not understand, is that when you have a very expensive engine, a very nice uh, steering uh, and, you're, and you have the luxury of buying these components and have a market uh, to sell these components to, then, of course, you can hit these experiences, right? You can hit the bleeding-edge experiences that consumers will want faster, better, more, right? But imagine if, you know, consumers really only had a budget for a bicycle, and I had to design, as a product person, design a bicycle to travel at 100, milli uh, sorry, 100 miles per hour, and, and that's really a challenge. And, you know, I've had the luxury of working 
at both a large company like Samsung where, you know, I was I was part of the product planning process for these 800 plus devices and at TCL and now Coolpad where we're looking at this lower cost market. And I can tell you that it's a lot more challenging to really, really squeeze the juice out of a lower cost device. And um, the Illumina is a great example of this product. Mm-hmm. Although from, you know, um, uh, experience is a perception. And when a user gets their hands on the device, you know, they will, they will understand why the device performs at a certain level for a certain price point. But, what's in, what, but what we do is make sure that we look and benchmark at competing products with similar specifications out there in the market because that's who I'm competing against. Right. And you're familiar with tools like Antutu, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that there are products out there um, that we've tested to see their Antutu scores, and our, our pure goal was to beat that score. We know and expect that there may be certain experiences that, that consumers may not feel like it's up to par. But when you're given, you know, a, a bicycle to try and make, right, and that, that's the price point that consumers want at, but they want that to go at 100 miles per hour, it may not get there, but I can guarantee you that we're looking at ways to try and squeeze you know, 80 miles per hour compared to our customers who may be running at 60 miles per hour. Sure. So, so I hope that analogy makes sense for you and, and uh, you know, add some color as to some of the challenges that we face when we're producing these low-cost devices because it's very easy um, for, for people to think, oh, this is just you know, cheaply made. It was just, you know, it's like pieces of Lego that was connected together, which, which is not the case. There's actually a lot more um, discussions and debates uh, with partners because we want to minimize the size of the operating system as an example, right? We want to minimize the overhead of applications um, that run on the product. We want to uh, d- design the operating system or add these adjustments where if it detects a camera application, for example, we dedicated more uh, you know, cores and processing to that application temporarily and, and, and slow the other things down. And there's all sorts of algorithms in play that we have to design to, to ensure that we're getting the best that we can out of the components because we know that there are is a market out there for those who don't have as large of a budget as some of the others do. So that brings up an interesting point, uh, and you touched on it a little bit. When, when I'm reviewing a device, and I've seen this more and more over the years, it isn't so much that the device itself gives me a certain type of experience it's that i colored it's colored through a lens of i use a different device for my own needs on a daily basis i carry something that gives me x and i'm now comparing this to that so i start to look at okay well it doesn't have this it doesn't have that and then i look at it and go now wait a second this thing is one eighth of that cost or you know just even half is it's a big difference and for a lot of the mm-hmm. a lot of the time when I'm looking at one particular model versus another that may not be a flagship, it's I've often said on its own, or if you're upgrading, you know, the the um the perspective of if you've got a phone that's maybe three years old and it's time to upgrade, this might be a small step forward, but it's still mm-hmm. gonna be a step forward than what you have because you've got a more current version of Android, you've got a little bit more, you know, the the software is updated, more secure, more optimized. But it's only when you compare it to other things that you kind of get that, 
oh, well, it doesn't have that. And, well, that company only makes cheap phones. Well, there's – it's for reason, I think. And I, as you've you know, kind of touched on here, trying to squeeze as much as you can and competing maybe on a particular device versus trying to say, hey, all we're capable of is putting out this type of hardware. Um, let me ask this. Do you guys, because I know that in certain circles, they're going to look at the, let's just say, you know, the, the bullet points and the specs and say, now this looks like it's an old phone or this thing looks like something out of 2015, four years old. They must be doing it to keep the cost down or must be too, you know, to, to it's cheap or, you know, that just all these, there's different ways of looking at that is how do you guys approach that? Is it, Hey, um, you know, USB-C versus a micro USB port, uh, the screen resolution, you know, how do you guys address that? Do you have like a tier or like a totem pole of, well, this is primarily the first thing we want to focus on to keep the cost down? That's correct. So at these price points where uh, people are on a budget, it's very important for us to understand those sweet spot lanes that I talked about before. And what we do is we ask ourselves, you know, what is the problem we're trying to solve for consumers here? And do consumers who want a, let's say, for example, a $50 smartphone, are they expecting, do they want, you know, um, a $1,000 device level of photography? And the answer to that is no. And the reason why we know that is because we've seen our products sell and we've spoken to the consumers who buy these products. A lot of the times, you know, they understand where the benchmark is and they see these great photographs from an $800 to $1,000 uh, devices, as an example, we take photography as an example. But the reality is you don't need those if you're posting it on Instagram, as an example, right? As long as you have great lighting, great color reproduction, those really tick the boxes for this market that's looking, you know, in, in the sub, in the affordable segment. Whereas at the higher end, I've spoken to a lot of people that use their iPhone as, as a professional tool, as an example, because the camera is at that grade. But when we look at the average consumer who's on a budget and we, you know, and we speak to them, we realize that they don't really need it all the way up here. You, you can't see me doing my hand arm signals, <laughs> Scott. I, I just realized that I was like <laughs> right. my hand around. <laughs> I but but, but that, that, that's how we do it, right? And again, we have, you know, we have to deal with economics. If they're looking for a $50 phone, where do we focus our bomb? Do we focus our bomb on the display? But then if you do that, you sort of lose out on the processing side. Do we put it all on the processing? But then you sort of have to, you know, lose on the, um, on the display side. So it's, it's really finding this sweet spot middle that's taken years for the industry to do, but since the market has matured, it's 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 all pretty um, straightforward from from my perspective. Right. No, and that's. I know every device is unique, and if you continually put out one thing at you know a hundred dollars and maybe one at one fifty, they can't be too uh, too much different. But I know that certain times it's like, well, this one might have thirty two gigabytes of storage and a micro SD, where the other one is sixteen gigabytes. Uh, right. And, you know, maybe this one has USB-C versus the micro USB. So I know that those are kind of like you give and take and you have to kind of say, 
you know, who is, who's the user. And I think that's some of that onus is on the user to say, which is the device that's right for me. And to have to say, I don't care about taking pictures. I want to get on and just, you know, I'm not printing anything out. I just want to snap a few pictures when I'm out with my friends, put them on Twitter and Facebook Mm -hmm. and be done. So, um, in regards to your devices, I know that you guys have, um, the cool UI as opposed to like the standard, you know, Android experience or the stock vanilla Android experience. Is that a conscious decision? Yeah. Do you guys see something that is missing in Android or that you think you might be able to offer differently or better? Yeah. Um, and that's a great question, Scott. So um, I'll frame it this way. We're not here to bring gimmicks as a way to try and just differentiate ourselves. Um, the cool UI, and what I need to stress about the cool UI is that um, it's still very close to stock Android. But what the cool UI label helps us with is it helps bubble up these convenience features, right, that will be of value to the consumers in that in, in the budget. So, for example, um, one of the things we brought in is this multi-finger unlocks that will quickly open an app depending on which finger you use. Another convenience feature that we put in is, is what we call scrolling screenshots. And what that does, we all know that web pages are not a single page that fits nicely onto a display. We know that there are pages and pages of content. So when you screenshot, instead of doing multiple screenshots, you have a scrolling screenshot where it would capture the entire content of the page. Mm-hmm. So it's convenience features like this that we feel and that we see in our research that, that consumers want, right? It's just from their behaviors. And cool UI is a label that helps us bubble those up. Um, and I wouldn't say a gap, but what I would say is, you know, sorry, a gap from Android. But what I would say is that it is um, plus alphas, right? Features and behaviors that we see the consumers doing, right? Having trouble with on these lower cost phones. And we want to help them uh, by bringing these things. And by providing this marketing label, the cool UI, it helps bubble these features up that they become aware of it and use it. Okay. No, and that makes sense. I know uh, the common perception for for guys that review a lot of the phones is sometimes having a stock Android experience is the only way to go. And for others, they say, you know, I'm okay with what this brand has done. It's dialed it back a little bit. Uh, One of the main concerns over the years has been, there's so much involved and it's so deep within the uh, the UI and the OS that it takes forever to get a, a major update or for a carrier or anybody to roll out a software update. Uh, do you guys have, as far as software, do you guys have an expectation or an idea in mind as to like supporting, is it like software security bugs and patches that you care about or can consumers kind of expect like a major software update? with the devices or is it you get what you bought at the time? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for us um, and moving forward, security is a very, very security and privacy are very, very important topics for CoolPad. Um, You know, security and privacy is a trend that CoolPad has identified to be very, very key when it comes to buyers uh, purchase decision. Uh, and we don't think it gets enough attention in public, to be honest with you. So for us, this is a very, uh, this is a, a deep part of our mission. It's a core pillar uh, of our mission to bring in secu- uh, devices that are secure. And 
This is why we are very, very adamant on making sure that our devices support all the latest Google uh, security MRs. And, and, and this is a promise that we're making uh, to our users uh, as we move forward. Okay. Having said that, OS upgrades, which includes feature set, is a little bit, um, well, is more of a complex discussion. And the reason why is because we need to look at several things. For example, if you introduce these new features through an OS upgrade, does it decay the performance of the device, right? Mm -hmm. Which is which is because the OS grows over time to, to add more features, nice eye candy and things like that. Is there a way for us to remove those? And, and this is why this complexity brings that in. And when you have a product that's known to set, um, to, do, to achieve a certain volume, and this goes down to economics, the question then becomes, the debate becomes, um, you know, is there enough to justify the cost, right, of, of doing this upgrade? And is it enough to justify the benefit for our consumers for this upgrade? So all those are very subjective, which is why when we look at the core of the issue, which is security, that is a must for us. But when it comes to feature upgrades, we will be definitely looking at a case-by-case -case basis because of those discussion points uh, and those considerations that need to be made. Sure. So I hope that gives you some idea of, of no, where our heads are at. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's been a, a big focus when I tend to review different devices from other companies over time. There are ones where you'll, per you'll, you'll look at it and say, I can't say for sure if you'll ever get a software update. My concern is whether or not you get... You know, if there's a vulnerability that's found that somebody's exploiting a particular build of mm -hmm. Android, that hopefully this company is able to address that. So uh, that I've seen, um, you know, I like that approach. I, I think that that, you know, having the security is what people care about. I run into more and more people and my perspective has changed over time of... How many people know that a software update is available? How many people care? How many people I've run into to say, hey, you have that phone. Did you get Android X yet? Or did you get Y? You know, and they're like, I don't know what's different about that. And do I care? And, you know, uh -huh. I don't like the way they changed it because it used to be here. Now it's there. And uh, my phone seems to run slower now. It's supposed to be better with software updates. So I, I can understand the dilemma and appreciate that, you know, you have to kind of err on the side of, you know what? I don't think these people in this target demographic really even care enough to say, hey, this thing doesn't have Android Pie out of the box. Why should I have an expectation of Android Q a year from now? So I can, I can appreciate the, the security uh, focus first. Um, right. What, what is the typical timeline from you know when you get started on making a device and it, with the idea and the genesis of, hey, this is what we want to do, versus you know ultimately release to the public? I know that it has to have shortened over the years, but what is it for you guys? That's right. So if we look at what I will label as low complexity projects. Um, they would they can typically launch between uh, three to six months, um, depending on whether there's been a product that's similar to it that's been built before that can be leveraged. Um, for higher complexity products, uh, they could easily reach a year um, uh, to from from concept all the way to to launch. 
hopefully gives you an idea of the, some of the time frames. No, it, it uh, and it's still as I've seen it. It's still a lot shorter than the the way it used to be. Uh, just kind of industry at whole. Um, you talked mm-hmm. about you know like with the feedback and and getting the, the 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 user kind of reactions and and what you guys you know find internally. Uh, your relationships with carriers. Are you seeing any particular trends where users are caring more about something specifically or uh, things that they might want from their devices? Yeah. Um, so first trend is we are still seeing this this uh, path towards affordability. People want more for less. And that is definitely something that is a part of our goal. Uh, the second one I talked about briefly was this rising awareness around security and privacy. It seems like every day we're inundated with some sort of news about a security breach of some sort, uh, password leaks, um, you know, horror stories about people remotely uh, tracking your device as an example. So we are very aware of that security aspect. And to give you an idea uh, of what may be coming ahead, for Coolpad, we are very, very aware that SMRs on its own um, fails to alleviate that concern from the consumer. And the reason why is because security MRs are very technical. They feel it's a security update. It's like on Windows 10 when you see those knowledge-based updates. You see the number, you're, you're learning that it's becoming more secure, but y- your understanding of the risks hasn't gone up, Right you feel like you're taken care of, but you're still in this unknown world. And what you'll see from Coolpad going forward is better conversations with the market about what precisely we are doing to help alleviate very, very specific concerns that they may have about purchasing a product from a company like Coolpad as an example. Okay. Right. So yeah, I'm not ready to share those details just yet, Scott. So I apologize, but I I wanted to put that trend uh, out there for you. And the third one is this leaving the families behind um, trend. And, and this is true. And, and, and a lot of it is to do with uh, the, the points you brought up, Scott, which was, you know, we, we've, the hardware has accelerated so much, right, that we sort of haven't really accelerated the experiential or, or the applications or the use cases to justify those kind of devices just yet. Um, and what we're finding is, uh, like, for example, children, is there a good handset that you can think of today for kids? This is something that we're working on uh, with the information that we're getting, with the research that we're doing with parents uh, to to bring a product that helps address that problem. The Dino Smartwatch is just the very first of these products that you will see come to market that helps address this need uh, that, that, that parents and sons and daughters are having as they think about their interconnected lives. Okay. As a, and kind of getting back to the phones, do you see uh, or have you noticed a, a trend of consumers being a little bit more educated and open to the idea of buying direct versus having to go to a carrier and kind of walk them through the process of needs assessment? Um, have you noticed anything in that regard? No. Um, so there's a few things. Um, we find that the direct-to-consumer model is great for building conversation and helping consumers understand what we as a company bring to the table. 
But in terms of distribution, carriers are still very much the gatekeepers to that market. And the reason why is because carriers bring a lot to the table. Number one is they, aside from the connectivity service, they're bringing in significant value-added services that are very attractive to the consumer, which is are, are things like you know deal with deals with entertainment companies, for example, uh, you know streaming companies, streaming entertainment companies, audio companies, things like that. Right? They also have uh, um, you know, economical incentives, right? Like for example, buy one get one free, which are subsidized via the cost of the subscription. Now, because they have these levers that they can push and pull, I feel that they will always be the strongest um, distributor when it comes to devices and experiences into the marketplace. And we all know that there's only um, a certain amount of real estate that can be dedicated to educating consumers about, you know, um, certain classes of devices. And I, and I spoke, spoke about the smartwatch before, one of the reasons why we wanted to go direct to consumer first, to start enabling those conversations first, mm-hmm. uh, is, is one of the reasons why uh, we do that. So to answer your question, Scott, I think, you know, I think the answer is uh, not really, because okay. they still get a lot of their information direct from um, adverts, uh, from you know, visiting the store. That's very much the consumer purchase journey today. Uh, they may shop for a device online, but the data we see is that more than 80% is still going through carriers. And I think it's for those reasons that I stated before. Okay. No, and that's that's insightful. I mean, I kind of had an assumption one way or the other. I kind of mm-hmm. maybe wrongly thought that, you know, consumers by and large are more educated and willing to do that. But as you start to, you know put it out there and I, I hear it, it makes sense that these are still the places that people trust. These are the places that people have come to uh, respect and, ex- you know, and expect to kind of walk them through that process and to put them in the right product. So um, it, it does make a lot of sense as you, as you put it out there. Uh, so maybe a, just a couple quick questions here to, as we wrap, um, What's what's on the agenda for Coolpad now? Like, what's coming, you know, near term, long term? Any particular products or initiatives or anything that you can talk about? Yeah. So our focus is really about educating the market about Coolpad 2.0. Uh, our mission, uh, the mission to be the leading provider of technology for families, and how our products can help. Uh, uh, families. And to do this, we are working with carriers. Uh, we're, we're building and wrapping up our website to talk about these challenges. Uh, and we will be rolling out uh, products, not just the, the Kids Smartwatch, that address these needs specifically. Okay. And do you have, um, you know, as far as like particular uh, Smartphones, are you guys, are you looking at, you, you mentioned moving kind of from the ultra affordable yeah. to the affordable. Uh, is that something that we might see more products that way or maybe one off? You, you will, you will. And okay. uh, in the smartphone space, um, we are still going for the affordable, but this is still a great device um, uh, angle. And we talked about security. And we know that uh, entertainment is a big driver 
uh, smartphone products, right? Uh, great camera, great display. Um, and you'll see those being offered by us in the very, very near future. Okay. This year, in fact. Yeah. Great. Uh, John, this was really informative. Uh, I appreciate you uh, spending the, the time to kind of uh, tell the cool pad story and, and a little bit about how yep. you guys work. It's uh, to me, it's always interesting to kind of pull the curtain back and see, you know, what goes on on this particular production. So uh, thanks for, you know, t- taking basically an hour of your time with me today. Um, I, I do appreciate that. No, thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's always fun to talk about this uh, with people like yourself. And I, I definitely joined it and thank you for the opportunity.